Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Allen, and this is Thanksgiving week, so I hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving, great, a great holiday. We should always be thankful. We're starting a new series called What Would Jesus Undo? And today's topic is indifference. Now, I'm going to put this something up on the screen and ask you what it means. What does that mean? Go ahead and say it out loud. What would Jesus do? Now, I don't know if any, some of you are young, but this was kind of got popular in the 90s. <laughs> so if you were around the 90s, how many of you had maybe a wristband with that on or some other? Yeah, lots of you. Okay. All right. And the principle was, in a certain situation, you ask yourself, what would Jesus do in that situation? Well, you know where that came from? It's kind of interesting. I did some research. I was aware of this first part. Uh, a pastor in Topeka, Kansas, in the 1890s, wrote a book called In His Steps. The pastor's name was Charles Sheldon. And he, he quote-unquote, tor- ter- um, quoted the, or, or, uh, inst- started this term, I guess you would say. Um, it was about social gospel, about why doesn't the church help the poor, and, and so forth. And it was a hypothetical in, in, in a, in a town. <clears throat> anyway, I did some more research. Actually, Charles Spurgeon, kind of one of my preacher idols, actually wrote a sermon in 1891, which was in five years before this. Well, Charles Sheldon might have gotten it from Spurgeon. He included it in a sermon. But even Spurgeon, where did Spurgeon get it? Well, uh, experts have traced it back to the 1400s. Thomas Aquinas <laughs> actually uh, used this phrase. But it's a pretty good concept, kind of like the, the golden rule, do unto others you have them do to you. Uh, what would Jesus do? Now, I want you to think about this. Get close to Christmas time. We're talking about buying gifts. And uh, do you ever spend a lot of time, energy, maybe making a gift for someone that you got really excited about that you'd really like or maybe, you know, researched or looked around a lot and found that perfect gift for someone? And you're all excited about it. And when you give them the gift, it was like, oh, that's nice. It's kind of like the worst, isn't it? When you're excited about a gift and the person you give it to isn't excited. My, my wife deals with this all the time. Where is she? <laughs> with me. I'm just not a... Gifts don't do much for me, and so she has the time buying me gifts. She buys me gifts, and I, I, I don't get as excited as I should. I'm sorry, dear. But uh, uh, it's not part of my love language, if you, if you folks understand that term. Anyway, if you're a Jesus following, if you're not, we're delighted that you're here, and, and we hope that, that you, you are better when you leave here than when you came, uh, from what you've heard. But if you're a Jesus follower, we need to realize that God himself sent his only son to earth. He left heaven. We can't comprehend what it must have been like to leave heaven. I got to believe that Jesus really couldn't remember it when he was here on earth because it would drove him crazy. But anyway, he came to earth not just as a a person, but as a helpless baby, grew up in a family, um, did a kind of a carpenter job probably until he was like 30 years old, started a ministry. He preached and taught and healed and performed miracles. People turned on him. Eventually they tortured him, executed him on a cross, and he dies. And then three days later, raises from the grave, conquers death, offers forgiveness to you and I, and those of us that are Jesus followers receive that gift of salvation. We are forgiven. We have a relationship with God. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we have eternity in heaven waiting for us. Now, how do you think God feels about it when we get that gift and go, eh, that was nice? 
So that's kind of where we're going this morning. And one of the things that Jesus would undo is indifference. Now, there's this term, young, I don't use this term, but some of you use this term. You familiar with this term? Meh. It's like, how are you doing today? Eh, meh. Are you excited about this? Eh, meh. Uh, what do you think about God? Meh. What about church? Eh, meh. It's just like, eh, it really doesn't matter. I don't care. You know. Um, that's kind of the society we live in, right? About too much. So we're going to look at something that Jesus wrote literally after he was dead and raised from the dead. Uh, it's John's recording this uh, maybe 50 years after Jesus. It's in a book we call Revelation. And he wrote letters to seven churches that existed at that time. And he made some observations about those churches which are really applicable to us today. So if you want some kind of reading this week, you can read in chapter 2 and 3 these seven letters. We're going to look at actually the last one, <clears throat> Laodicea. I don't know if that's the proper way to say it. It's a town, was a town in southwest Turkey. Now, after Jesus, sometime after Jesus, this was a prosperous city that was destroyed by an earthquake. And so they rebuilt the whole city without the help of Rome, very prosperous place, and so it was just elaborate. Even the, the uh, ruins today are even elaborate. If you want more pictures, talk to Jeff back there. He's actually been there. He's showing pictures between the services. Uh, I'll show you one picture here. Um, just elaborate. There's theaters, there's amphitheaters, there's uh, public baths, they had elaborate shopping. You can, almost, you can sense from just this one picture uh, how affluent that culture was 2,000 years ago. And this stuff is still, still existing. Um, but they had a big problem. And the problem was water. Now for a city to not have water is a big deal, even today. So what they did was they built aqueducts. You know what aqueducts are? They're like sliding boards for water. That's what I call them. So they start someplace higher and they go downhill into the, to the city. So they had two major sources. Here's the two major. Colossae, and that was a, uh, a place where they got cool, refreshing water. And that's good to refresh you, right? And Heropolis had hot springs, and they were supposed to be good for your health, for healing. Now, Colossae was 11, Colossae was 11 miles away. Heropolis is six miles away. So what happens from hot water when it travels six miles? What happens to cold water that travels 11 miles. It becomes kind of lukewarm, right? The text is going to use that word, lukewarm or tepid. And it probably became a little dirty traveling all that way too, but that's another issue. And so the people that lived there and the church that was there understood this. They experienced tepid or lukewarm water every day. That was their water source. And so... Uh, Jesus is going to use that as a, a, an application or an illustration that applied to them and, and also can apply to us. So this is in Revelation chapter 3. This is a message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, beginning of God's new creation. Who is that? That's Jesus, right? He's the one. He, and who is the new creation? You and I are. All right, we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. Once you become a Jesus follower. So this is who it's written to. Jesus followers. Not that other people can't uh, learn from it. 
And Jesus is saying, I know all the things you do. Right? Jesus knows what you and I did yesterday or last night or last week. He knows. Maybe everybody else knows, but he knows. He knows everything. And he's making this observation about them. He said, you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. Because you have influence, you have impact, you can, uh, for, to refresh somebody or to heal somebody, but being lukewarm, eh, doesn't do much. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, we could get some lukewarm water in our mouth and spit it out, it's not refreshing, doesn't taste very good. But the term actually is much stronger than that. It really means to vomit or throw up. So, uh, pretty violent, uh, pretty dynamic illustration. He said, the fact that you are not much good for refreshing or healing, that you're lukewarm, I know that what you're doing or not doing, um, it makes me ill. Jesus said, it makes me ill. I don't know about you, I don't want to make Jesus ill, do you? So one thing Jesus wants to undo in your life and my life is indifference and I'm going to give you a couple causes of indifference kind of big general causes there's lots of potential causes uh, that Jesus refers to this first one in the text uh, self-sufficiency and he said that's a good thing I take care of myself well yes and no uh, the text says this you and I can say I am rich now most of us don't think we're rich but we're rich in the world's you know we're we're wealthy country and all of us have lots of nice stuff. So we can say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. Maybe not everything you want, but we certainly have everything we need, most likely, and a lot more than what we need. So I'm good. I got everything I need. You don't realize, he says, that you are, look, look at these words, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You've got lots of stuff, you know, I'm good. I've got a house. I've got cars. I've got clothes. I've got iPhones. I've got, you know, whatever. Uh, but Jesus' observation of us, just because we've got a lot of stuff is, but really, spiritually or internally, we're not doing so good. We might even be wretched. We may even be miserable. We may be, spiritually speaking, poor, blind, and naked. Now, I don't know about you, but it's frustrating me as a Jesus follower to talking to people that aren't Jesus followers, that are affluent. Most of my neighbors are affluent. And so when I talk to them, they don't say this, but that's how they act. I'm good. You know, I don't need your Jesus. I don't need church. I don't need religion. Um, and Jesus' observation, of either whether a Jesus follower or not, is that stuff doesn't give us meaning. So I put on your outline. Our lives can be full of stuff and still be empty of meaning. In fact, I've been a pastor for almost 40 years, and I see it more now than ever. People have more stuff and less meaning in life. They have more frustrated, more stress, etc., etc. Now, I don't know the answer to this, but why are we so drawn to stuff? And maybe one of you know the answer. Uh, we just want more and more of this stuff when it fails to bring us true, deep, and lasting meaning. It's kind of an illusion. If I get this, I'm going to be fulfilled. If I get this, something new, I'm going to be fulfilled. 
And we do it over and over again, and yet it doesn't bring fulfillment. So self-sufficiency is one cause of, of indifference. Another one is distractions, and this is huge in our culture, isn't it? We have so much potential stuff that we can do. So many things that we can involve in it. And for some reason, we think we've got to do it all or try and do it all. And it's a distraction from what's really meaningful and uh, of value in life. Jesus tells this story, uses an illustration of this farmer planting seed, and he's throwing his seed out and lands different places. It all starts to grow, but depending on where it lands, it doesn't continue to grow. And he talks about some of it falls in with the weeds. And here's his, he tells the disciples what, he, what he's meaning by this story. He says this. But all too quickly, the message crowded, crowded out by the worries of life. Notice the list here. Worries of life. All got worries, don't we? The lure of wealth, whether we have it or want to have it or want to have more of it. And the desires for other things. There's always new and shinier things we can want. And so no fruit is produced or nothing meaningful or worthwhile is produced. Now, I understand this. Life happens, right? You make these plans and the kids get sick, or the car breaks down or, or you know, some uh, uh, unforeseen circumstance happens. So it's easy for us to get distracted. Another way we get distracted is we get our minds set on something like, um, I'd like to get a new car. So nowadays you've got unlimited resources. You go online, right? And look at all these different cars and pluses and minuses. You can look at people's evaluations, et cetera, et cetera. And you can become preoccupied or distracted by just in a car search. Uh, then there's good causes, like save the whales. And so we can be distracted by good causes. Or my wife's on this idea of getting rid of plastic. It's not good for our environment. So, the, you know, not that we get distracted by it, hopefully. But it can be a, a distraction, so these are good things, but become distractions from the most important things. And so it, but it boils down our, our spirituality, our religion, our Christianity, whatever term you want to use. We just have enough of it to make us feel good, feel good about ourselves, but not really enough to change us. And we talk about changing together, becoming more like Jesus, uh, better people, if you will, more spiritual people, people God can use. But we're so... Distracted, we're so indifferent that not much change is happening. So I'm going to give you, you say, well, that's not me. Well, I'm going to give you a list of some indications that it may be you. And I have to admit, some of it it, uh, points to me. So here's some indications that you and I may be lukewarm and indifferent. More concerned with impressing people than rather than God. Now, in our selfie culture, Everybody's wanting to be like, and Facebook, there's a thing at the bottom you can push is what? How many likes did you get? That's almost like our mindset. And I appreciate, Scott, you put a lot of spiritual things up, and I enjoy reading them. Uh, sometimes I point like, or sometimes I don't, but anyway, I like them anyway. Uh, but being concerned with what people think rather than God. Let me just ask you a simple question. Was that Jesus' concern? <laughs> One of the most obvious things when you read Jesus' life was he had no concern what people thought about him. But he was obsessed with the fact of what God thought about him. Man, what a better example than that. Obsessing with life on earth rather than eternity. Again, it's all about now. 
how come so many Americans are so far in debt? And the simple answer is they want it now rather than wait for it, right? Simple answer. Um, now is nowhere near as important as eternity. Eternity's going to, I mean, this is like a snap of your fingers. Eternity's going to last forever. Why are we focused on now rather than this thing that's going to be actually perfect and also forever? Another thing that might indicate that we are indifferent is rationalizing sin rather than fearing God. And we rename sin. In fact, we don't even like the word sin. It's like mess-ups now. We don't even use the word sin often. But we'll take uh, adultery and say, no, it's just a affair. Sounds a lot better, doesn't it? Or how about instead of pornography, it's adult entertainment. Sounds a lot better, doesn't it? What are we doing? We're rationalizing sin. And we can always say, well, nobody's perfect. Well, no, no, nobody is perfect. But when we become indifferent, we begin to rationalize rather than to deal with those things. Uh, A couple more. Believing in Jesus, but rarely sharing our faith. Why do we do that? Most of us are Jesus followers, and most of us rarely share our faith. In fact, it's Clint, where are we? Clint went. Uh, Just inviting somebody to church is a challenge for many of us, much less sharing our faith. The only answer I could come up is this. We really don't believe what we say believe. That the only way to, to God or to heaven, to eternity, is through Jesus. And anybody without Jesus is bound from eternity in hell. <laughs> if we truly believe that, we would certainly share Jesus. And I'm not saying throw it in people's face, but putting Jesus into the conversation when we're talking to people. Uh, another reason, another indication is focusing on God only when we need Him. Okay, so we go through our life, things are going good, and all of a sudden we got a problem. You know, the kids are misbehaving, or I've got a health issue, a financial issue, and all, and all of a sudden, oh God, 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 please, 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 please help me. Until it's fixed, and then we go back about, about our merry way. I think about it like this, like a toolbox. Now, I don't carry my tools around with me. I don't see you carrying tools around with you. <laughs> nice to have tools. When something breaks, you go to the garage, you get the tool, and you fix it. You put the tool back. And so, oh, God, I need you now. But I don't, you know, life's good now, so I put you back in the, <laughs> in the toolbox. That's an indication of indifference rather than focusing on him <clears throat> all the time. And a kind of a lump sum total of this is not being much different than people around us. So we claim to be Jesus followers, but we spend our money the same way people do around us. We parent the same way people do around us. We treat our spouses like the people around us. We use our time the way people around us do. Lukewarm. Indifferent. Now, we don't wake up one day and say, I'm going to be lukewarm. (laughs) The water doesn't start out lukewarm. It flows downhill. I use the word drift. We drift into lukewarmness or indifference, don't we? Somebody shared something with me after the first time I thought it was good. We did, as a Jesus follower, we have an anchor. If you put down the anchor, our anchor is Jesus, at least it'll stop the drifting. Still got to work your way back upstream, but you, you know, we, we've got an anchor. Now we showed you last week an uh, amazing thing God's been able to do through our church in the past year, which is fine, but that was last year. What about 2020? And there's basically two ways 
to respond to that list. Well, yeah, we did so much last year. Let's kind of take it a little bit easier this year. Or we can say, hey, that was fantastic. That was more than we did the year before. We're praying and we're working that God uses us to do more this year than last year. So here's the question. How do you overcome indifference? Now, as a preacher, pastor type person, it's easy to tell me, oh, spiritual disciplines. You need to read your Bible and you need to pray and do that every day. You need to come to church regularly. Uh, get involved in a ministry. We need help in the cafe. Maybe somebody can volunteer to help in the cafe. Get into a small group. If you're not, I don't understand why everybody's not in a small group, but some of you aren't. Uh, that's the way we do life together. The problem is if I give you all that list of that stuff that I just gave you, a month from now, I can almost guarantee your life's not going to be much different than it is right now. It's just not. For one, it's just kind of overwhelming. It's too much. And you may try and start doing all that stuff, and eventually you don't wind up doing any of that stuff. So I came across something I thought was brilliant. It's not original with me, but I thought it was brilliant. It's been really neat for me as I've been trying to do this. Here's one thing to do. Not a lot of things to do. One thing to do. Every day do something that requires faith. It means something you normally don't do or maybe you can't, can't even do. Another way to think about it, something outside your comfort zone. So it may be, well, I don't ever tell anybody about Jesus, but I'm going to tell my neighbor about Jesus. Or I might stand up for Jesus. Somebody's cursing using the name of Jesus. Say, oh, I'm sorry, that offends me. That takes faith. Courage, another word. Maybe you're not in a small group, and the reason is because some fear you have. I don't know what it would be. Or maybe a bad experience in the past. All right, my step of faith is I'm going to get into a group out of my comfort zone. The challenge in my small group, half the, half the group never prays out loud. So that's really out of their comfort zone, I'm assuming. So that just a suggestion. You don't have to do it if you're my group. But praying out loud. So the, the list is endless. It may be to get up 15 minutes early every day, and I'm not a morning person, but I'm going to get up and spend some time reading my Bible and praying to God. That's going to take a lot of faith. So you, you get to decide day after day what it's going to be. Uh, for preachers, it takes faith just to get up here and talk. Let me just tell you, it takes a lot of faith to get up here and talk. <clears throat> Maybe I'm not going to be so obsessed with what people think about me. Say, okay, today, that's not, by faith, I'm just going to do what God wants me to do, whether what I think people want me to do. Well, I'm going to call, today I'm going to call that sin, sin, rather than call it by some better sounding name. So why is this important? Well, verse out of Hebrews tells us this. Impossible to please God without faith. If you're a Jesus follower, hopefully you want to please God. Well, you and I, I can preach without faith. You can come to church without faith. You can read your Bible without faith. You can pray without faith. So the key is the faith component to what we do. And that pleases God. So let's get back to the revelation. So I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that won't be purified by fire. They had a lot of gold. They were wealthy. He's saying, this gold, and I think one interpretation of this gold is faith. 
get faith from me. You're rich, you buy white garments, you will not be shamed by your nakedness. They had a garment industry uh, in that time. Uh, I think he's talking about being in relationship with me. Uh, ointment for your eyes, you'll be able to see. They, they evidently had a special ointment there. It was pretty famous. And then he addresses something else that's interesting. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your, there's our word, right? Indifference. Message paraphrase is pretty, pretty interesting, the way it dates this. The people I love, I call to account. I prod, I correct, and guide so that they'll live at their best. Up on your feet, at their best, not indifferent. About face, run after God. Now, I don't know about you parents, but do you parent, uh, discipline your, your neighbor's kids? Now, we should love everybody. We don't love our neighbor's kids like we love our kids, but we love our kids, so we discipline our kids. Now, it's important what words you use here. And I always like to distinguish between these two words. Punishment and discipline. Punishment is what our legal system does. It looks backwards. You committed this crime in the past, so you're going to prison for five years. If you get rehabilitated, you know, hopefully so, but that's not our initial goal. It's punishment. Now, if you're a Jesus follower, don't ever use the word God. At times, you may feel that God punishes you, but God never punishes his children. Why is that? Because he already punished Jesus on the cross for all my deserved punishment and yours. The wage of sin is death. Jesus died for us. Discipline's different. Discipline looks forward. Discipline looks way, the way you can um, uh, make progress. You can mature. So, parents, when you discipline your kids, the purpose of that discipline is to make them better. And we did this, this class once <laughs> called, <laughs> interesting you're here this morning, uh, Parenting by Grace. And so, our kids would do something, and this would be the normal punishment. Instead of that, we're saying, we're going to give you grace. We're not going to punish you for this. And there's somebody here this morning that tells a story about how much more impact that had on her life than the, the punishment or discipline or, that, that she would give. So it makes sense. What had the biggest impact you, you and I as a Christian? The grace of God, right? He didn't treat us like we deserve. He loved us unconditionally and invited us into a relationship. Now, just a word of caution here. It's much better to hurt with a purpose than to exist without one. Being indifferent doesn't really hurt. It's when you care that it actually hurts. It's easier not to care. But it's not easier to exist without a purpose. So what would Jesus undo? He would undo indifference. And he gives this beautiful illustration. He says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear the voice and open the door, come in. I will share a meal together as friends. Now, it's written to a church. And here's a famous painting about that, which is fascinating because the, uh, the painter didn't put a doorknob on the door. So Jesus can't open and go in. The only way he can go in is if the person on the inside opens the door and lets him in. So when we're indifferent, Jesus is not going to say, hey, this makes me sick, your indifference. Please invite me in. 
for intimate relationship, and we'll call sin, sin, and we'll share Jesus with people that need him, etc., etc. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, Jesus is also knocking on your door, inviting you, asking you to invite him in to your life, to change, transform you from not believing, not having life, not having eternity in heaven, to having all that. It's a free gift. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I am victorious and sat with my father on his throne. That's mind-boggling. Everyone who ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. Have you heard? Are you listening? Do you understand? So here's my challenge. I mentioned it earlier. Here's your challenge for this week. Do something every day that requires faith. I love to hear about yeah, how, how that affected you this week. Uh, so let me know, maybe next week or some other time. So we're going to pray, uh, invite you to either come to Jesus initially or to step difference, and then we'll have a song and let you go. Father God, thank you. Thank you so much for this beautiful letter that was written to a church, but a church that kind of drifted off track came in different and at times all of us have done that God and maybe some of us more now than some other time we need to get back on track and we need to listen and we need to understand and we need to obey so I pray we do that those of us who are Jesus follow if you're not Jesus has this amazing gift he gave his life to give you this gift And probably no one else has ever done that. Jesus gave his life to give you the gift of eternal life and a relationship with his Father and be one of his children. So if you have any inkling or desire to do that, that's Jesus knocking on the door. The only thing that's left is for you to open, for you to say, yes, Jesus, invite him in. I pray that that's your prayer this morning. And we thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.